Welcome back to Painting the Corners off-season preview series. Uh, we're continuing here with the NL Central. Uh, just like before, breaking down what each team needs, uh, where they're headed for next year, and who they've been rumored to uh, be pursuing, if anyone. Let's start it off with the top of the division last year, the St. Louis Cardinals. 93 game winners, but unfortunately bounced in the first round of the playoffs to zip to the Phillies in the brand new NL wild card round. An unfortunate end to a very promising season for the Redbirds. Um, they certainly had all the baseball mojo going with Yachty, Albert, and uh, Wainwright in their last run together, Wainwright's coming back, but Yachty and Pujols uh, have officially retired. So um, definitely going to be a different looking Cardinals team without Molina in that lineup and behind the plate for 130 games every year. Um, but what do you think their outlook is for next year? Are they still in a good position to win? I think the Cardinals are always in a good position to win. They find a way to make themselves winners. It just feels like every year they feel like a solid team and they end up being a really good playoff team. They don't always do great in the playoffs as of late, but they seem to consistently make it. So it's tough to bet against them. And I always like their outlook. And I'm every year hesitant because I look at their rotation and I just don't love it. But they get production and they figure it out, and they trade for some soft-tossing lefties at the trade deadline who always pan <laughs> out. And, I mean, go look at the track record. It's true. They just continually do that. And that's going to be an interesting dynamic again. Can they do that three years in a row? I think the odds would say no, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of beyond the point of trusting my eyes with this team. I'm going to just trust my gut and say their outlook's going to be fine. Let's just see how they change the dynamic of the team without a Yadier Molina. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. And regarding the rotation, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. They have they've really gotten by without anybody who you would consider an ace. And when I say gotten by, I mean won more than ninety games the last couple of years. They have Jack Flaherty, who certainly looked like an ace at the last half of twenty nineteen um, and into twenty twenty. Kind of got hurt a couple times trying to make it back. Um, hopefully for them, he regains his form coming into next season. But you got Wainwright re-signed. Um, you've got Jordan Montgomery for another year. You've got Flaherty with the question mark. Steven Matz is signed uh, through 2025. And Miles Michaelis as well. So... As before, it's kind of the same sort of rotation that they've had for the last few years because there's nobody there that's like really sticks out to you. Montgomery was very good after the trade deadline. You know Wainwright's going to provide some good value, go deep into games. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're just going to kind of find a way to get it done as they have in the past, but it certainly would help if they got a top-of-the-rotation arm like a Rodon. No, it completely would. 
And so right now the rotation, kind of as you mentioned, it lines up to be like a Michaelis, Montgomery, Wainwright, Jack Flaherty bounce back type season, Stephen Matz. Then you look at your death pizzas being Matthew Libertor and Dakota Hudson. That doesn't suck. But like you said, there's no guy. And maybe this is why they struggle come playoff time the last couple of years. Because in the playoffs, you need someone to come in there and be able to strike out 9, 10, 11 on any given night and shove. There's no one on here who's going to do that consistently in the playoffs and just dominate from start to finish. So if they can get a guy like Rodon, yeah, that'd be crucial. Now, do they have the payroll for that? That's remained to be seen. We know that they've shed about $10 million from last year. How high will they go? They're currently at the 154 marker. I don't know. They also have to look at you know years beyond. beyond. Like you said, they're going to drop Montgomery here coming up. Uh, he's making $10 million. And then on top of him next year, you're losing Wainwright and Miles Michaelis, who, Michaelis, who are both making $17 million. So you're dropping about $44 million and three starters from your payroll next year. Maybe they look at it as a long-term investment to not only cover this year, but then the next couple years getting a Rodon type. Though we haven't really seen that rumored doesn't mean that it's not being discussed internally. Yeah, and there's plenty of other options on the starting pitching market beyond Rodon. There's a whole other class of the kind of Evaldi, Tyone, Bassett level. Uh, I could certainly see the Cardinals playing in there. Although, again, that wouldn't really solve their their search for an ace. No, not by any means. There isn't a direct need for a rotation spot, but like we said there's definitely a need to get that ace-level guy. We'll see if they end up doing that or not. You know, the bullpen looks pretty solid to me. Obviously, you got Ryan Helsley. Came out hurt last year. We'll see how that carries over into next year, if it does or not. But their bullpen's pretty solid. So not too worried about that, other than some minor additions here and there for depth. Position player-wise, we know what they got going on in the corners of the infield. Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado locking it down. Um, They've said they like Tommy Edmond at short, though there were some people that speculated they might go into that shortstop market. I don't really see a need. I like like Edmond. And then second base, you're running out Donovan and Gorman, who I think is a solid enough platoon there if they feel comfortable. The outfield definitely has question marks, but I think the biggest question mark, as we talked about in the beginning, is what do they do at catcher? They don't have Yachty. Do they go after Wilson Contreras? Obviously, they're rumored to. They've also been rumored in the Sean Murphy trade talks, so we'll have to wait and see on that. Yeah, absolutely. There's just, it's been Yachty for so long that it'll be whoever suits up at catcher uh, will look weird in the in the Cardinals uniform. I could totally see that Murphy trade coming together. It seems like a pretty solid fit with the Cardinals. Obviously, there's lots of other teams interested as well, um, and who wouldn't be? He's a good offensive catcher and a good defensive catcher who's young and uh, pretty cheap at the moment. So, interesting to see about that. They could try to pry Wilson Contreras away from the Cubs, their rivals, uh, with a free agent deal there. Might be a bit out of their price range, uh, but not completely out of the question. There's also um, on the market former Red Sox and then Astros catcher Christian Vasquez. So um, there's options definitely on the catching market. It's a, it's a, it's a bigger catching market than we've seen over the last few years. 
um, when it's been pretty thin. So, yeah, Cardinals have options for sure. Right, and and personally, if I'm them, I go the trade route. They have a top system to do so. So, for me, I don't love Wilson Contreras' long-term outlook, aging catcher. We see what happened to Grandal. There's only one real JT Real Muto in the world, so it's tough to compare anyone to him. I love going after him in terms of Sean Murphy or one of the the Blue Jays guys who clearly seem to be available mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Yep. If I'm the Cardinals, that's what I'm doing. I'm saving the money there. Might go out and get a starter, or quite frankly, I might go and try to get a good outfielder. Again, they have solid outfielders, but there's no one that I'm just like in love with. Like Lars Newpar had a good rookie year for sure. Wasn't great. I mean, Dylan Carlson doesn't seem to be the next Mickey Mantle like everyone made him seem to be when he was a rookie. Obviously, you have Tyler O'Neill. These are all solid pieces, but you can definitely go out and get a star-level guy like a Nimmo to plug in there if that's where you want your big splash to be this year. Yeah, and I don't know, man. The more I'm thinking about it, the less I'm thinking that they're going to make a big splash because they just don't have any holes. You know, They've just got guys everywhere that are solid contributors and i feel like unless ownership sees a real need somewhere other than catcher i think that i think catcher is really going to be their only big acquisition point this offseason because you can look up and down the lineup and say yeah that guy's going to be fine yeah that guy's going to be fine yeah that guy's going to be fine and i don't know if ownership is really going to be convinced to spend above their means to replace someone who's fine with someone who's really good. You know, it's the difference between when you're replacing someone who's terrible with someone who's really good. No. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you though. I wish the ownership had a little bit more green light there because that could be a pretty scary lineup if they did, but let's switch on to a team who is going to fire sale. Now, is that really what's going to happen in Milwaukee after a disappointing season where they didn't make the playoffs? An 86-win Brewers team who seems to have a good rotation, pretty locked down, some solid offensive pieces. Sounds like they might be in fire sale mode. Yeah, and it's kind of out of the blue because the early indications were no on the fire sale question because they picked up Colton Wong's option for uh, $10 million. That was mildly surprising. Um I thought there was a definite chance that they they did not pick up that option. And so at that point, I'm thinking, okay, you know, they're going to run it back, um, try to, you know, keep the same core around and make another run at it next year. But then they went and traded Hunter Renfro, who's making $11 million, to the Angels in pretty much a pure salary dump. Well, he only got uh, pitching prospects, no major leaguers back from the Angels there. So... That's a pretty clear non-win-now move. Um, and it kind of makes that Wong decision stand out a little bit more. Like, why would you pick up that $10 million if you're just going to drop Renfro's $11 million? And so now the question is, or do they try to trade Wong as well? Uh, maybe they just think that there's some surplus value over that $10 million where teams would still want to trade for him. And I think I kind of agree with them in that uh on that opinion, Wong had a very good year, actually, last year. Obviously, we know he's a great defender and um, was pretty good with the stick as well. Um, but, you know, you can't just 
trade guys in a vacuum that, oh, that opens up holes. They've got a big hole in the outfield now with Renfro. And if they dump um, Wong as well, that would leave the middle infield as another big hole. They've got Adamus at short, but that basically means that they would be trusting Keston Hira at second, I guess, or Mike Brasso. Not really uh, stellar options there. No, not by any means. They are trending towards the fire cell mode, and which is sad because they're so close and there's really no need to. Their payroll isn't ballooned or anything. They're only at $116 million, so they could spend a little bit of money here and there and you know, reallocate the Renfro money in some sense, but it just feels like you know Rowdy Telez may go, like you said, Colton Wong. I don't know what the move is, but it seems like that's what they're starting to do. But there's also talks that they've had discussions with Willie Adamas to extend him. Obviously, he's a very good shortstop in the game now, and he's figured himself out over in Milwaukee land. But other than that, you know, they're running out Urias at third, solid. Um, catching position, obviously, is a pretty big hole. It sounds like Victor Caratini is going to be the everyday starter as much as you can be an everyday player at catcher. The outfield is super thin now without Renfro. I mean, Garrett Mitchell and Tyrone Taylor seem to be the starters. Estri Ruiz maybe gets some starts in there too. That's not playoff-esque outfield. Obviously, you have Yelich, but I don't really... I mean, the, the thing is, is why I'm so confused why they're not going for it is because the rotation is so young, controllable, and cheap. You're running out Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Eric Lauer, Freddie Peralta, Aaron Ashby, and Adrian Hauser as your six starters. And that's insanely good. Why would, yeah, but that's my whole thing is why would you not go to compete with that? It's not even like, you know, Corbin's making 30 and Woodruff's making 20 and Peralta's making 12. And, you know, these guys aren't making a lot of money. This seems like the perfect time to then push all the chips forward with your offense and see what you can do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen the, the Burns and Woodruff trade rumors. I'm of the opinion that that's really just smoke and mirrors and wishful thinking by other teams. But, you know, you can't say never until it doesn't happen, until until they become free agents. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Brewers, I hope that they're really just trying to kind of straddle the line here and do some buying and selling in addition by subtraction and stuff. I hope they're not going to go into full fire sale mode. Uh, just from a baseball perspective. But if they do, I mean, it's going to be an all-time fire sale because they have a lot of pieces that are really valuable. Hey, guys, it's Johnny with some post-pod news for you. Uh, So you heard us talking about the Brewers potentially trading Colton Wong, and just a few hours after we recorded this episode, they did just that, uh, trading Wong to the Mariners for a package of outfielder Jesse Winker and utility infielder Abraham Toro. And uh, I don't have Logan with me right now, but we discussed this off the pod, and we both really like this trade for the Brewers. Uh, We mentioned how the trade of Renfro opened up a hole in the outfield, and then trading Wong would open another another hole in the infield. But now this trade, two for one, really plugs both of those holes. Perhaps not the same caliber of players, Renfro probably a little better than Winker, and Wong clearly better than Toro, but still, for a cost-conscious team like the Brewers, um, they basically ended up right where they started with 
saving $10 million about Renfro's salary uh, because Wong was making 10 as well, and Winker was at like 8.25, and Toro is uh, pretty minimal as well. So it was, a, it was a pretty even swap there, and they managed to drop all of Renfro's $11 million. So definitely good on the Brewers for managing to, to remain competitive while still shedding that salary. Hopefully that opens the door for some other moves for them. Um, but it looks like the fire sale is off the table here. Reports have come in that they have told teams they're no longer listening on Burns, Woodruff, and Adamas. So the core is sticking together in Milwaukee, and they're looking to run it back uh, for another year of contention there. Yeah, so let's go to a team here who knows a lot about going for it and then having to kind of sell off after, and that's the Chicago Cubs, who definitely have some money to spend, and they always will until they get into that 200-ish range. There's projected at $127 million going into next year. They only got four guys on the books with guaranteed salaries. Um, they are paying Ian Happ a solid amount in ARB this coming year, but other than that, I mean, they're not really paying too many guys too much money. Stroman, Saya, Kyle Hendricks, and Jan Gomes are the four guaranteed salaries. And you know that they are a team that always wants to compete. They never want to go full tank mode. And that was pretty obvious when they signed Stroman and they signed Seiya to the money that they did. They're never just looking to completely tank, retool, and see what happens like the Pirates and the Reds have. Which is good. Which I think is a good thing. They definitely had to retool, but they didn't have to completely tear everything down and have no watchable players on that field. However, they have a lot of unwatchable players on the field if the season started today they have a lot of holes to fill where do you think they need to start man i mean where do you start there's so many good options big opportunity at shortstop where uh horner is an incumbent but has expressed willingness to move over to second base to to uh, accommodate somebody there um so the corners are are kind of open too because you got patrick wisdom he can play first or third so you could really get an addition on either side of the field there. Um, you also got Nick Madrigal as a second base option. He's been hurt and kind of inconsistent. And then in the outfield, you got Seiya and you got Ian Happ. Two very solid players, but clearly a big hole at third outfield spot. They non-tendered Rafael Ortega, um, who was a corner outfield, is a corner outfielder, no longer on the team. And then also they outrighted or cut or just, I don't even know what the word is for Jason Hayward, um, another mainstay on that Cubs roster. He will still earn $22 million, but he is no longer on the roster. Um, they completely cut ties with him. Uh, and also David Bodie, who had been a fairly uh, everyday contributor over the last few years at third base, um, He's gone as well with a $10.5 million salary for the next two years. So interesting decisions there from the Cubs. It's not really too often that you see teams completely cut players who they're still paying significant amounts of money to. But uh, I don't know, props to them for opening up those holes and and, uh, opening up opportunities for other guys to come up through their system. I will say with the center field thing, They have been obviously rumored to be interested in Michael Conforto and Bellinger as well. Seems like a lot of teams are. And it makes sense. I mean, 
like you said, they have Ian Happ and they have Seiya Suzuki, but you know, there's no there's nothing to say that Ian Happ has to play left. He can DH, he can do a lot of things. I don't know if mm-hmm. center field's such an open hole. Uh why not give Christopher Morel another shot? I mean, he yeah. was exciting and he showed potential, obviously. He was easily probably the most exciting player for a good month there for that for that city. Obviously, say it was probably over the course of the season the most exciting, but you know, I don't know if they have to go get an outfielder as much as they have to get a first baseman in my eyes. Like you said, having Nico Horner bounces. And a catcher. You know, yes, but I don't feel like it's a Well, Jan Gomes, I guess, yeah. Because they, they do have Jan Gomes. They're clearly looking for a catcher. Let's put it that way. They've already been had ties to, obviously, their incumbent, Wilson Contreras, but also Christian Vasquez. So they're clearly looking for a catcher. Now, I don't feel like it's a necessity. First base is a necessity in my eyes. You cannot run out Alfonso Rivas. They do like Matt Mervis. GM has come out and publicly stated Mash that. And Matt. Right. So they like him, but he also threw in a but we are looking at outside alternatives as well. So whether that's a Josh Bell, who I think would be a great fit there, whether it's a Brandon Drury, who I could see, someone in that tier of first baseman, Cubs could definitely go after. And then, like you said earlier, could they go after one of the big shortstops and make a splash? 100%. Yeah. I still like the outfield play for the Cubs, honestly, because, you know, you get an outfielder, you kind of have a rotation there between the new outfielder and the three incumbents, say, and Hap and Morell. And if Morell pans out out there, great. You can shift uh, somebody to DH temporarily and have a, a little bit of a rotation there, platoon there. And if not, then you plug in that new guy in the outfielder, what in the outfield, whether that's a Bellinger, as you mentioned, Conforto, even a Nimmo, if they wanted to play at the top end of the market, um, and really just solidify that outfield because it's got the makings of a very solid outfield. Hap and Suzuki are are very good pieces to have. Um, whether or not they overpaid for Suzuki kind of remains to be seen. Uh, we'll see if he can uh, find his early form next year. Uh, kind of hit a wall after being injured, but. Yeah, I I don't think this is actually as bad of a roster as it looked last year. Now, we haven't really talked about the pitching yet, and that is where most of the question marks are. They've got Stroman. uh, They've got Kyle Hendricks. After that, it's guys that are not really too proven. Alec Mills has been a kind of swing guy for them over the last few years. Um, Steven Brault, they signed... Um, or picked up off waivers, maybe former pirate. Um, not too many guys that are, you know, known contributors. Wade Miley is a free agent. Uh, didn't really pitch much for them, but uh, yeah, Sean Newcomb as well, gone in free agency. A couple starting options there. Yeah, they definitely have to build up some sort of rotation, and I think they're probably going to end up running Marcus Stroman out there as their number one guy, which tells me they're going to play in that middle tier of the Jamison Tyones type or worse. I don't think that's actually a bad thing, because like you said, you know no. they have Kyle Hendricks still, who's going to give them innings. They have Justin Steele, who's going to give them innings. And, you know, he may not 
be terrible. There's a good chance that he would have he'll end the season with a better ERA than Marcus Stroman even. Um, I think he's definitely an underrated three, four, five guy for sure. But again, after you get through those first three guarantees to be in the rotation, you know, you're looking at an Adrian Sampson, Hayden Wisniewski, who again, I think that's a good prospect, but again, how what can you what can you expect from a guy who doesn't have a high K rate there and too high of a walk rate for sure? Um, you know, how many innings does Javier Assad get? They threw out Keegan Thompson last year. I think an interesting guy, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be too much of a play in the rotation anymore, but that's Adbert Alzale. We saw a lot of potential mm-hmm. with him last year. He sh- showed a lot he of... He twice against the Padres. Right, and the good thing about him is his strikeout-to-walk rate is pretty solid, which tells me he could play in the rotation for sure, but it sounds like they're going to make him or push him maybe towards more of a bullpen role, which that high K per nine, it's above nine right now, will definitely play. And then you kind of transition into the bullpen. It's not a good bullpen at all. And so they need to get some guys there for sure. You know, they can run out. You can always run out a bunch of guys. You have arms in your system, but you want to put out solid arms. You know, you want your best reliever to not be Rowan Wick or, you know, a Brandon Hughes, whatever it may be. They're going to have to make some additions there. Doesn't have to be any big splashes, but they got to build up some depth for sure. Yeah, and I don't think that's going to be a huge priority for them this year because, well, I don't know. Maybe it is. I, I was going to say because they know they're not going to win the division, but I mean, the Cardinals are up there, but the Brewers, as we just said, are seem to be instituting a sell off of some proportion. Um, so I would think second place is a reasonable possibility. The NL does have a lot of strong wild card teams for sure. But I don't know, man, I'm kind of convincing myself that the Cubs can kind of go for it here. Um, I don't think they should go after that kind of Rodon-ish level um, or Verlander de Grom kind of starter. I think you'd probably wait till next year, maybe go after, uh, I don't know, Blake Snell when he comes on the market because you want to have a more established rotation before you go get that ace. I think this is the year that you go for, as you said, that kind of Tyone Evaldi level. I kind of like what they did with Stroman last year. Another guy of that caliber, a guy that you feel comfortable with giving 180 innings to every year, um, but not somebody who's going to completely break the bank. And then as for the bullpen, I feel like that's an area where they can really just let the kids play and try to figure out who they really have out there. Um, whether Alzolay moves to the bullpen, probably Wesnetsky uh, could be as well. So they've got several internal options that have shown promise, and I think the kind of thing to do would be just run them out there, see who's who, and if you find yourself, hey, you know, we're only a few games out at the deadline, then you can go swing a trade for a closer. Yeah, totally, totally agreed there. It'll be interesting to see how this offseason plays out for Chicago. Let's move on to the Cincinnati Reds, a team that probably won't have a lot of big-time activity this offseason. What is their outlook this year? Is it to just kind of meddle again or maybe let some of the kids start to come up and, and have some fun in the pro level? Yeah, well, before I get into the outlook, I would just like to say that it is pretty remarkable that the Reds finished in fourth place, given that they started the season 3-22. and 22. Uh, I don't know if that's really a comment on how 
good the Reds are or how bad the Pirates are. But either way, uh, that was pretty wild. So as for the Reds, it's a pretty barren roster. They only have two guaranteed contracts, Joey Votto and Mike Moustakis. Uh, Votto is signed through this year with a club option for next year. And Moustakis is as well, same exact situation. So not too much payroll on the books. Yeah, outside of Votto and Moustakis, the position player class is pretty barren. There's some recognizable names. Nick Senzel has been, you know, kind of tantalizing potential the last few years. Hasn't really figured it out. Um, They got rid of Aristides Aquino, traded Kyle Farmer. It just really seems like they're opening up the roster for their prospects, and they do have a lot of them. You want to tell me about their prospects, Luke? Yeah, they are loaded. They loaded up at a key position, too, shortstop. A lot of these guys are going to be coming up here in the next one, two, three years, which is why I think their goal should not be to do too much this offseason other than maybe put somewhat of a respectable product on the field, have enough guys to roster a team. But other than that, what they can do is sit and wait this year. They're obviously not going to do enough to compete. So looking at 2024, those two contracts that you talked about, Joey Votto and Mike Moustakis, $20 million club options are going to come off the books. They're not going to pick up either one of those. I can guarantee you that. So that's going to put them under $50 million guaranteed on their roster. Now with a couple ARB guys, that might push up a little bit. So maybe they're a little bit over 50 come next year. But the Reds are going to have some serious money. And when their top dogs start to come up through that system, they can supplement it with some stars. They're going to have some money to spend. And whether it's you know a big-time player or a bunch of you know really good all-star level players, doesn't matter because they can roster a very good team in four or five years that should be competing for this division consistently. Now, will they spend a lot of money? I guess we'll wait and see. But as for this upcoming year, they just need to continue to sit pat. They traded away Kyle Farmer. They brought in Kevin Newman, just a cheaper option to play shortstop, a little bit younger. Not as good, but you know that's kind of what their MO seems to be at the moment. I think the Reds have a really good futuristic outlook, and luckily they're not, you know, in the Rockies boat or anything like that. They have prospects to watch, and you know, you and I live this firsthand with the Padres, where your product on the field at the major league level is brutal, but it's okay because you follow the minor leagues team so closely and these players so closely, they essentially become your major league team at a certain point. So it's still an exciting time for the Reds. Yeah. And I kind of going back to the Reds pirates dynamic here. It's so interesting because the Reds are another team where you can see the plan developing and the pirates are completely on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, you, you can kind of see it coming through now, but they have been bad for so long and had nothing to show for it for so long. Whereas the Reds kind of went straight from playoffs to really bad to, hey, now we have lots of prospects that are coming up. And the Pirates went from playoffs to really bad to 
still really bad to we don't really have any prospects and now they kind of have guys and uh and ben charrington who they hired a couple years ago is doing his best to to try to fill out that farm system but they just seem to be always kind of behind the eight ball and the reds you know comments about their owners notwithstanding at least seem to have a good process um in terms of getting prospects, turning them around, developing them. Um, kind of failed with Senzel, but they really should have several quality players uh, that they acquired from trading away their stars the last few years. Noah Marte is probably the headliner at the moment, but lots and lots of guys that have a good chance of being solid everyday contributors, if not all-stars. No, totally. And so you kind of mentioned the Pirates there. As you said, kind of moving on to them, they have a little bit more of a direction now, and you're starting to see that with O'Neill Cruz. He's kind of the headline guy to break through for them and, and kind of lead that charge for the new wave that's going to supposedly be coming up here in the next couple of years. But, you know, beyond him and Cabrian Hayes and Brian Reynolds, there's not a whole heck of a lot to love about this Pirates roster. They don't have a lot of money committed. There's going to be players that sign this year in the Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, who are probably going to get close to the, or their entire salary for the year is probably going to get pretty close to the entire payroll of the Pirates, which currently sits at $54 million. They have done a little bit this offseason for sure, but it's kind of been centered around first base only. Um, they went and traded up for G-Man Choi. They then picked up uh, Luis Diaz, and then they went and signed Carlos Santana, and then therefore DFA'd Luis Diaz. But still, they apparently really want to make sure first base is solid for this coming year. And, and who can blame them when they had the worst first baseman pool of any major league team last year? I think they put it together. It combined like negative three war over there at first. So oh, dear. at least they're trying to improve. And G-Man Choi and Santana pose as pretty solid DH first baseman platoon guys for sure. But other than that, obviously they just are going to continue to, you know, listen to trades on Brian Reynolds and probably not do anything until it's too late. But what do you like or is there anything to like about this team? Well, yeah. I mean, those three guys that you mentioned off the top, Hayes, Reynolds, and uh, our boy uh, O'Neill Cruz, are three really solid players. Cruz, obviously, is a beast, absolute physical specimen. Um, already has the record for the hardest hit ball in StatCast history. So that's uh, obviously super exciting. Hayes has shown a lot of potential. And Reynolds is already a multiple-time All-Star, I believe. So that's great. It's a good start of a core. Um, unfortunately, they just don't have really anyone around them on the position player side or the pitching side. Their best starter is probably Mitch Keller at this point. JT Brubaker has shown some decent promise as well. But you can't even really consider holes at this point it's more of just a roster and they're hoping that guys will come up and and fill out the roster and then in a couple of years we can talk about holes that they need to fill 
Yeah, no, that's totally true. They definitely have to acquire some talent this offseason because I don't know if they have enough innings and arms to cover yeah. an entire season. You know, I think they're going to, like you mentioned, Keller and Broodbaker are going to be big innings eaters for sure and have you know a little bit of potential here and there. They're going to have to rely on maybe Rowan Z. Contreras to eat up some innings. Yeah. So he's you know, solid. He's solid. But again, these are all just like good four or five guys. Keller has potential to be maybe a three with his strikeout stuff. But even then, it didn't really play last year. So I don't know where they get the innings, to be honest, with who they have. I know they traded for Yohan Oviedo from the Cardinals, but I don't know how he predicts or excuse me, projects to to go deep into the season, throwing a lot of innings when he never has. So they're definitely going to have to sign some guys, and it's going to be guys that you you know that have a high chance of being traded at the deadline, like a Jose Quintana type, and then net you some prospects. One rumor that I actually really have heard about the Pirates, is probably the only one I've heard uh, about the Pirates, is that they are in talks with... Uh, Kyle Gibson, formerly of the Phillies, on a multi-year deal. Um, whether that those talks are actually progressing or whether they've offered more than $5 yet remains to be seen. But they are at least interested in pitching that is controllable because, as you said, they, they're going to need to cover those innings. They can't completely rely on younger guys um, who haven't pitched much in the past. So it's going to be some major league starter that they get potentially for two years, um, but also potentially just for one. Yeah, and Kyle Gibson is a perfect guy to eat up innings, and you know what you're going to get from him, right? So we'll see if that pans out, but that seems like too good of a fit there for sure. Okay, it's Johnny with another update. So unfortunately, Kyle Gibson will not be coming to the Pirates because he signed a one-year deal with the Orioles last night. So Pirates miss out on Gibson, but... Plenty of other similar options on the table. Um, a good starting pitching market. I got a lot of uh, lower tier guys in the kind of Johnny Cueto realm uh, around there that the Pirates might be interested on another one-year deal. There is a little bit to look forward to, though, if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. Stay optimistic for sure. Um, yeah, and you'll just have to kind of ride this one out, and hopefully front office can put you guys in a good position to win here in the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, you know, one third of your lineup is great. <laughs> so you got that to look forward to. O'Neill Cruz is, is much must see TV and Reynolds and Hayes are also really great players as well. I don't think they're going to trade Reynolds this off season. Um, I think the deadline is probably the earliest that they would do it. But even then, I don't know. Um, He's just been their cornerstone guy, and to kind of give up on another one after so many have kind of just panned out, uh, flamed out, you know, it's it would be sad. Yeah, I definitely 100% agree there. Don't want another Andrew McCutcheon to go to waste. And it's Johnny again with some more Pirates news, actually. This one coming down in the wee hours of the morning. Brian Reynolds has requested a trade from Pittsburgh. Now, this isn't basketball. Requesting a trade is not quite as straightforward. Uh, Players generally don't have as much leverage in Major League Baseball, and the Pirates have already come out and said 
that this really does not affect their plans at all. They do not plan to trade Reynolds, and uh, they're looking forward to him having a good season in Pittsburgh. So just a little bit of drama there. We'll see how that pans out with the winter meetings coming up in San Diego next week. But Reynolds wants out of Pittsburgh, so that's uh, not a great sign for the Buckos. With all that said about the NL Central, I think we've about covered it all here. Definitely a lower-end division, but there's a lot of talent coming up through a lot of these systems. Even the even the best teams in the division, including the Cardinals and Brewers, have a lot of talent in their systems. So it could it should be a division that come five years could be kind of a bloodbath, which will be fun to see. So thank you guys again so much for listening to this episode. We're going to have the NL East coming up next, so definitely stay on the lookout for that. And thank you guys again so much for taking the time to, to give us a listen today. All right, see ya.